the two messages that came forth by the Holy Spirit telling us everything's going to be all right. God's plan will be fulfilled in your life, in this church. Hallelujah. Well, we're in the right place at the right time this morning. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I want to say as your pastor how proud I am of this church. The amount of you that showed up yesterday morning out in the cold to stand against abortion and the killing of the unborn, I was really proud of you. I want to tell you that. That's what we need to do, right? We need to go to the streets. We need to let the world know who, who we serve and who we stand for. So I just want to say thanks again. Hallelujah. I also want to emphasize our conference this weekend. This is the first time we're having a, uh, a long service, long conference. The first time we had this. But I'm telling you, you need to be here. Friday night, Pastor Chris Rodriguez from our Chalmette Church is going to be here. He's going to open it up. He's bringing his team. We have a great worship time. And uh, Saturday, you're going to have yours truly speaking. And then Sunday morning, you're going to hear from my pastor, Brother Rod Aguilar, who said he's coming with his guns loaded. So so you want to be here, and, and I believe this is really going to uh, uh, lift us up in the faith and strengthen us to go on. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to continue in our five-part series on what it means to be a Christian. And uh, this is the second leg. Last week, we covered the significance of Christianity, that Christianity is not a religion that started 2,000 years ago, but it was an eternal concept of God before creation. The Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. It just didn't happen 2,000 years ago. It happened before the world was even created. So today we're going to look at why was Christianity necessary? Why was it necessary? Well, it's necessary because of the failure of man. Your failure, my failure. Every one of us failed. Man failed to fulfill God's plan for creation. In fact, the Lord destroyed mankind one time. It got so bad in Noah's flood that he had to just wipe it all out. But his plan is different this time. He came to save us. He came to lift us up. The Lord destroyed mankind in the first flood because everybody sinned. Well, guess what? Everybody still sins. Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is God's intention for us. 
God's intention for us is to live in his glory and to be blessed. And it doesn't matter what your race is. doesn't matter what church you attend. It doesn't matter what religion you were brought up in. It really doesn't matter. We all sinned. We all sinned. We all fell short of what God intended for each and every one of us. And that is his purpose, not our purpose. When we live for our purpose, that's when we go wrong. That's when we sin. But it's good to know when the Bible says, for all have sinned. It's good to know that you're not the only one that sinned. But everybody sinned. There's no one that can claim righteousness in themselves. And that when we truly repented, we realized we experienced salvation and we were born again. But what is the most important thing about this? The most important thing is what was behind our failure? If everybody failed, what was behind it? Why did everybody fail? What is the root of man's failure? We know that we inherited a sin nature from birth. The Bible tells us we inherited from Adam, who is the father of all mankind. We, we inherited that. But what was the root of Adam and Eve's failure? Well, we know the story in the Garden of Eden. We know the, how they were tested with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate the forbidden fruit, lost eternal life for you and I. But the word of God reveals what the source of their failure was. Here again, we got to go back before creation. We got to go into eternity past to find the answer. What was the root cause of sin? The Bible draws the curtain back. The veil is open and we can show and it shows us the scene outside of this world where sin began. There was the greatest creature that God ever created in the angelic world. His name was Lucifer, who his name meant morning star, which because of his appearance and his beauty, and the Bible refers to him, in a different name, after he rebelled against God and sinned, he's now referred to Satan or the devil. Now, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's why Paul warned the church in Galatia in Galatians 1, 8. He said, But even if we, listen to this, even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. In other words, if an angel showed up here, if Satan himself showed up here, guess what? He's not going to be red, and he's not going to have horns, and he's not going to have a tail. He's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. His appearance never changed. He's going to look like a messenger from God in his appearance. Well, how will we know what if he's a message from God or not? Well, I'll tell you. 
Just listen to what's coming out of his mouth. See, what's coming out of his mouth doesn't match up with God's word, then it's Satan. Well, we know that Joseph Smith, the, the founder of the Mormon church, that's what he saw. He thought he saw an angel from God. He saw, he saw Lucifer, and he was caught up in that. And guess what Lucifer did? Gave him another gospel. I love when the Mormons come to my door, and they got the Bible in one hand, the Book of Mormon in the other. I said, why y'all got two Bibles? Why don't you just slam them together? He said, we can't do that. I said, no, you can't because they don't fit. So Paul tells us that Lucifer was an angel before that. He was created. Before he fell, he was something that, that, that was so, it was the most beautiful creature God made in heaven. And Lucifer had the privilege of being near the throne of God. you imagine that? To be around the throne of God? That wasn't good enough for him. In Ezekiel 28, 14, it says about him, he says, you was anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. This wickedness that was found in Lucifer is P-R-I-D-E. Pride. That is the root of sin. You want to know why you sin? It's pride. Pride is the root of the failure of mankind, and it still is today. The root sin is, is pride. So what is pride? Well, Webster, if you believe in Webster, he says it like this. Pride is a high or inordinate opinion of one's own importance or superiority and conceit. See, pride cannot endure an equal. Pride wants to be one up. All the time. It's always one better. That's what sin is. I want to be one better. I want to be more. Pride immediately works out itself in the heart as jealousy. Now, this is what the scripture says about Lucifer who became Satan. In Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You got that? I will be like the most high. This is what Paul warns the Roman church on pride in Romans 12, 3. He says, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you. Paul was standing here. This is what he'd be saying to us. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in order with the measure of faith 
God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. This is where Lucifer went wrong. He was jealous of God. He was jealous of God's son, who, who is appointed heir of everything. He was cast out of heaven and sent to earth. That's why Jesus told his disciples, remember his disciples came back, the 72 came back and reported to Jesus how well they did on the, on the mission field. He said, man, even them demons, them demons are cast out. When we use your name, we cast them all out. And Jesus reminded them, hold on a second here. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He didn't want them to think that they were doing anything. You got to remember, whatever we are and whatever we're going to be is going to be because of him. Never of us. This is a mystery how sin could enter into the heavenly realm. Well, it was there because all the creatures of God were created with a free will. They, they are serving God because they want to serve God. They have a free will. Now, Satan had a different story. He had to be cast down. He had a free will. He could have served God or rebelled against God. Where everything in the supernatural realm, you think it would be hard to fathom that sin could actually occur in a place so perfect and so beautiful. It wasn't Adam and Eve who originated sin. It was Lucifer who became Satan. Adam and Eve fell the same way Lucifer fell. It's the same way people fall today. The root of sin is the same as it always was and always will be in the end. It's the pride of man. If you want to know what the root of sin is, it's pride. And we'll never understand the meaning of Christianity until we understand the method that Satan uses to tempt us to sin. After Satan's demise, being cast out of heaven to earth, he enters creation now, God sends him down, which was created by the Son of God, who is the heir of all things, Satan sees the plan of God in mankind, and he's jealous of it. He's jealous of it. Remember, man was created in the image and likeness of God. That's what we did. That's what Genesis says. God said, let us make man in our image. See, Lucifer wanted to be like God. Lucifer wasn't created in the image of God. We are. He hates that. See, he wanted to be like God, and God creates you and I in his image, so he hates us. Lucifer wanted to be like God and exalt himself above God, so now he's out to destroy God's plan for you and I, and he knows how to do it. He wants to destroy us the same way he was destroyed. And he does it by pride. He enticed man in the same pride that brought him down. Let's look at man's failure. 
Sin was already in existence by Satan, who was the first to receive the consequence of sin. Satan was the first one to receive the consequence of sin. You know what his end is, is in a lake of fire. That's where he's headed, okay? But in Genesis 2, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. I noticed something here that I didn't notice before. When this command was given to not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God didn't say it to Eve. Eve wasn't even created yet. He said it to Adam. Okay? So it wasn't until verse 18 God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Bible doesn't say that God gave this command to Eve. So obviously... It had to be conveyed to her through Adam. And obviously, he didn't do a good enough job because she was confused on what the restrictions were concerning this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's look at the scene where sin entered into mankind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. See, this is the same thing he fell for. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering from themselves. Here Satan is challenging the word of God as he does today. He does the same thing today. Satan said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve said this, we may eat fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. She added to God's word. This is where you get in trouble is when you take God's word and you add to it. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. It is what it is and it's good. You leave it alone. You take it as it is. Whether you like it or not, you leave the word of God alone. You don't add anything to it. Because she misquoted God by adding God said, misquoting God can lead to trouble. Can lead to trouble. Misquoting God can lead to trouble. That's why we better know the word of God correctly. Correctly, not haphazardly. 
Don't go around quoting God haphazardly, but quote him accurately. Eve added to what God said, and you must not touch it. God didn't say that. Satan said, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Obviously, when she grabbed a fruit, she didn't die immediately. So she was believing that God said, if you touch it, you die. So now she grabbed it and she didn't die. Because God didn't say you can't touch it. He said you can't eat it. So when she touched it and she realized it didn't kill her, you know, hey, let's take a bite. Eve probably thought, I didn't die when I touched it. Surely I'm not going to die if I eat it. See, here's the deception the devil in, brings. The insinuation was this. For God, look at what he said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. See, this is the same thing Satan fell for. He said, I'm going to be like God. Satan insinuated to her that God was keeping something good from her. That's how the devil works. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead. It's good. God, God, see, God was limiting them. See, Satan was trying to tell them, God's trying to keep this from you. Why don't you just go ahead and partake it? The devil uses the same tactic today, that, that God is trying to keep something from you. Don't do that. You don't have to obey all this. He's limiting you. Don't you understand? You can't do what you want to do. God's holding things back from you. Young people, got any young people here? Are they all out of here? I'll talk to Paul and, and, and Ray. Let me tell you something about young people. Your parents put limits on you. They're not trying to hold anything back from you. They're not trying to keep you from having something good. They're trying to keep you from getting in trouble. So listen to them. They're not trying. They want to give you everything, but they want to give you the good things. So when God keeps us back from something, He's trying to keep us out of trouble. See, and, and, and when your parents put restraints on you for your own good, the devil's going to tell you, and how many young kids said, man, I can't wait till I'm 18. I'm out of here. I ain't going to listen to them no more. I ain't going to live under that anymore. I'm out of here. And the first thing you know, they're they in trouble. Two weeks later, they're in trouble. Because the devil keeps telling you, your parents are limiting you. You can't get what you want. You can't become what you want. So they attempted to disobey their parents, unaware that they are trying to keep you away from those things for your own good. Satan said this to Eve. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Isn't this what Satan wanted, to be like God? He said, I'll be like the Most High. What Satan was conveying to Eve is this. You see, God is withholding something from you. Something from you that you could have. You could have a better life with it. See, sin is always tempting to make you better, make you feel better, make you better. 
but sin is a deception. You could have a better life with it. That's the same thing in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son who wanted his inheritance. He wanted to get out of his father's house. He wanted to go party. He wanted to go live in the world. And where did he end up? He ended up in the pig's pen. Him thinking, his father, living under his father's house, man, I, I'm limited here. He didn't know he had everything. Satan insinuates that God is not favorable to you and your interests. Satan emphasizes the you factor. He says, you can be something, man. You're going to listen to that. You can go do something. You don't have to listen to that. You can be in the know about all things. I mean, you can be up on everything. You ain't got to listen to that. He awoke the eye factor that caused him to lose heaven. The eye factor, self-centeredness, self-interest, self-realization, and every other self-aspect. So man was enticed the same pride that brought Satan's downfall. It's an act of independence, personal freedom from God. See, this thought, is running rampant in the world today. It's increasing in the world today. You know what it's called? Lawlessness. Our government doing away with laws. Let criminals do whatever they want to do. It's okay. That's just the way we are. Total independence from God. No prayer in school. No Ten Commandments posted anywhere in public places. Man doesn't want God telling them what they can't do. Let's look at the world today. Is it getting better? I thought we was in evolution. I thought we were doing, we were supposed to be getting better. That man, the more knowledge he has, the better we're getting. The more knowledge man has, the worse he's getting. Because he's getting it without God. The world today is calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. Isaiah 5, 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world is suffering because it doesn't realize what the cause is. The cause is nothing but pride, thinking that he can operate without God. You can't. The problems in the world today, countries that are in starvation, is that they, they are resisting God. They're doing away with God. Their independence of God, which is sin. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. I don't know about you. I found that out after 27 years living on this earth. My way was hard. My way was hard. Sin is hard. Being a transgressor is hard. Now let's look at the Christian life. Christianity doesn't remove all the misery and suffering in creation and not even out of the believer's life. Both the ungodly and the Christian will suffer things in life. There's no difference there. The only difference is the unbeliever suffers in despair and hopelessness, where the believer suffers in the grace of God. 
turning it all into the account of making them more Christ-like. God will use suffering in our life. God will use trials in our life to conform us to the image of his son. He will use them. But on the other hand, the ungodly is to their demise. The suffering of Christians make us more like Jesus. That's why we can't complain. We're complaining. Say, God, what are you trying to do with me? How are you changing me through this thing? But we can't talk about the failure of man without talking about the coming of Jesus Christ to the world. That's why he came. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. God becomes man. He becomes us. The Bible says a lot about his coming into the world. The prophecies concerning his virgin birth. The city where he was going to be born. The angels singing when he came. The world still takes a day out of the year to remember that somebody named Jesus was born. But the majority don't know why. They don't know that we were a wreck, that God had to come and save us. We know he came to die for the sins of mankind. Now, we have concluded that the root of sin is pride. So let's look how Jesus came into the world. He was born in a stable with animals. His parents were poor. His life on earth began in the most humble setting that you can possibly be, being born in a stable with animals. Humility is the opposite of pride. But it was a great and mighty thing when he was born, the way he was born. Because before all this happened, a decision was made in eternity that he was going to leave his place and humble himself to come to earth. When the word of God was with God and the word was God, and the word still is God, this is how Paul explains it, how great this was. In Philippians 2, chapter 5, I mean, chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The great renunciation of pride was the way Jesus came. The Son of God came in the poorest condition. He had given it up. He had let it go his place in heaven. He laid aside his position and he, and of equality with God. He didn't look at his equality with God when he came. To become a servant. Paul says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, that we should humble ourselves and serve God. Jesus had to deal with his disciples on pride. They were, they were striving for positions. They were saying, Lord, can, can we sit on your right and your left hand? Can we be there? And God said, the Lord said this in Matthew. Uh, 20, verse 26. Not so with you. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. we got churches today where people are flocking in. They want to be served. They come to get served. They don't come to serve. They come to get served. That's why a lot of big churches, and they got everything. You ain't got to do anything. You just show up. Show up and pay up. That's all they expect out of you. We got everything. We got all the paid staff. We got everything. We got your kids going on. We got Disney World over there. We got everything over here. You ain't going to worry about anything. No. Jesus said, if you're going to be great among us, that the greatest among you are going to serve you. The greatest among you are going to wash your feet. That's what Jesus did at the Last Supper. Luke 22, 27. Jesus said, who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves? In John chapter 13, verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. God became man to show us the way away from sin. The way away from sin is humility. You know what that means? That means every second of my life I'm depending on God. I don't want to ever spend a moment not knowing that I'm in the favor of God, that, that I am in God's sight all the time. James says this, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So you know how you get up? You go down. You humble yourself before God. You humble yourself before your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't try to rise above them. You serve them. I can't tell you how many times over the years, I remember the first church we, we pioneered, we had a family day and, and uh, we had a big banquet thing going on. And we had some of the ladies in the church that came up to me and my wife and my associate pastor and his wife. And they said, Pastor, we're going to make you guys a head table. And we're going to set everything up. And y'all guys are going to be at the head table. I said, sister, there won't be no head table. Oh, no, no, no. We have to do this for you. I said, sister, listen to me. There won't be any head table. I got family coming. I'm sitting with my family. You can sit at the head table if you want. There ain't going to be no head table for me. When I came to Chalmette, I looked up on a platform. They had these two big chairs. Remember the big chairs? I don't know where they are. They're going now. But, but anyway, I had them two big chairs up there. I asked one of the deacons. I said, what, what's those chairs for? Oh, one's for you, pastor, and one's for the deacon. I said, I ain't sitting up there. Sitting with my wife. We'll be on the front row, but I'm sitting with my wife sitting up there. Take them things off. I like 
when the word when Jesus said, "If you want to be great, then then serve." I want to be great in God's sight, and to be great, I'm gonna have to serve. I'm gonna have to serve you. I'm gonna have to wash your feet. I'm gonna have to wipe your nose. I'm gonna have to dry your eyes. I'm gonna have to do all that. Because I want to be great. And to be great, I'm going to have to serve. To be great, I'm going to have to humble myself. Jesus came to reinstate man to the place God had intended for him to be. Christ came. He's sitting at the right hand of God right now representing every one of us. He's interceding for each and every one of us. Jesus said in Luke 24, 7, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Jesus knew exactly what God's plan for him was. And it was the overruling, overriding task that nothing was going to deter him for doing that. That's why, why the devil offered Jesus everything in the world. He says, see all these kingdoms? I got them all. I'll give them to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. I don't think so. All oh, this is mine anyway. I'm going to get it. And I don't need you to give it to me. I'm going to take it. There was no other way to redeem man outside of the cross. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There is no other way. People say, you think you got the only religion? No, I don't have no religion. I got the way, though. The way is Jesus. The way, I got the way. I know the way. His name is Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian and be saved. But our concept of Christian life is a little thing compared to the way God sees us in eternity. This ain't all we're getting. In fact, Paul says, if you're just serving God for this life, then you are men most miserable. Let me tell you something. 50 years ago, when I got off my knees accepting Christ as Lord and my Savior, I had heaven on my mind. It's still there. I know where I'm going. I'm heading there. I'm going to get through this life. And I got another one coming. See? And Jesus, it's better than this, I guarantee you. It's better to hold out here. Christianity really doesn't begin when we accept Christ. By accepting Christ, we are put back into eternity. Where God's original thought for mankind exists. We go back. What we have as a Christian is not just for time, but it's for eternity. See, we have eternal life in us now. Now. I can't die. I'm going to lay this body down, but I'm not dying. I'm going on. See, a true believer knows this is true. I know that what's living in me right now is eternity. Let us set our hearts on knowing all that the Christian life means, and we got three more sessions to go through, that we're not going to be content with a little life. I don't want to be content with a little Christian life. 
not with anything less than God's fullness. Jesus said, I come to give you life and life to the full. If it's to the full, I want full. I want full. I don't want a little bit. I want full. So let's have a determination that we're not going to stop short of any place, short of God's full intention for our life, that we will experience all that God has for us. And the only way we're going to get it is we're going to have to humble ourselves and let God exalt us. Humbling ourselves means that we're going to tell the Lord we need him, we can't make it without him. You might be here today, Maybe you've never accepted the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you've heard the gospel, but refuse to surrender your life to it. You know why you're refusing? P-R-I-D-E, pride. That's why you won't come. That's why you won't come. That's why you won't accept the gospel. It's because of pride. You might be a Christian here, and you've just been just been haphazardly going through your Christian life and not really going for the full life. You know why? Because you got pride. You don't need everything from God. You got enough. If you say you got enough, then that's pride. I can do the rest myself, God. I'll come to church on Sunday. I'll give my offering, but that's it. That's about as far as I'm going. Let's pride. If we want everything God has for us, we got to humble ourselves. We got to say, God, I'm surrendering it all to you because I want you. When the music fades, all you might be a believer here today. Maybe you haven't really surrendered your life. God wants to meet you here at the altar today. I want you to stand with me. You might be here today, you say, Pastor. I haven't really been going after God like I need to be going after him. I've been settling. And I know it's my pride that's been keeping me in that place. But I want to humble myself before God because I want more. If you want more, and step out from where you are. Gather around the altar. Let God say, let God show you that there is more. And I tell you this, if you say, I don't want more, well, then that's pride. Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves. Come on, Jesus. Let's surrender today, right now. Hallelujah.
Jesus said, if we humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. I want to be exalted in God. The way up is down. Hallelujah. Let's surrender to God. Surrender all. Come on, Jesus. Help us, Lord. And I surrender. And I surrender all. And I surrender. And I surrender all. Come on, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Everything and nothing else. The rest and my all. You deserve my everything. And my life. And my song. And I surrender. I surrender all. That's right. Let's surrender today. And I surrender. I surrender all. That's right. We want more, Lord. Want more of you. I surrender, I surrender Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. And I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake. Lord, I Lord, I give you my heart, give my soul, I live for you, 
Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, have your way in me. By desire to honor you, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I 